Welcome to Transforming Medical Communications, a podcast by MedCom's experts. We share medical communications insights and advice from the best and brightest in the industry to find out what they're doing to push our industry forward. Here's your host, Wesley Portages. Welcome to the Transforming Medical Communications podcast. I'm your host, Wesley Portuguese, and joining me today is Lynn Southhold. Currently a medical communications director at Novartis Gene Therapies, Lynn has spent the last few years at the forefront of some really transformative developments in our industry. Lynn has an impressive history of leadership positions in organizations such as FIFO Pharma, Shire, and Takeda. And her invaluable contributions have really helped shape some critical advancements in the treatment of rare genetic diseases. Welcome to the show, Lynn. Thank you, Wesley. You know, this is a topic that I'm really passionate about, so I look forward to our conversation. Glad to have you here. Let's open the conversation maybe with a high-level question for you, which is, how would you actually define medical affairs, and what does medical affairs mean to you? Well, medical affairs is, I mean, in simple terms, a lot about translating data into information to help physicians help the patients. But of course, medical affairs is, especially these days, so much more than that, right? It's about generating data. It's about collecting insights and really help the strategy focus on the impact on patient outcomes. Yeah, and of course, you have been very active in medical communication specifically in one of the medical affairs functions with some key roles in companies that we all know. So that is quite impressive. And I was wondering if you could maybe share some insights into your career path. Like, how did you decide to specialize in medical communications? I think that wasn't really a straight path. I started out in the academic setting. I did a PhD. And towards the end of my research, I felt like I wanted to do something that was more collaborative. And where I felt closer to the patients, I wanted to see that my work and my efforts had an impact on patients. And from there, not really knowing what I wanted to do, I joined a medcoms agency, got experience in various different parts of regulatory writing, medical writing, project management, Congress coverage, wide variety of different aspects of medical affairs, and eventually ended up in a medical affairs position doing medical communications. And then I pretty much stayed there. I think I found my calling. Yeah, that's beautiful. So since you have been progressing through this career path for quite some time, I imagine there might be some pivotal moments that you have experienced or some experiences that really shaped your perspective on medical communications. Maybe not pivotal moments per se, but I think pivotal people. So the medical affairs leader that I worked for early on in my career, she used to say that good medicine is good business. And I don't think I understood the full impact of that from the start. But over time, it became so clear that when we put the benefit of the patients or really truly the needs of the patient first, that has an impact on our trust with the community. It has an impact on how they see the company. Right? And all of these things are impacting the business in the end, secondary, but directly. Yeah, I really like that. And I'm quite regularly in conversations, and I'm sure you probably have the same ones, about like commercial versus medical. For instance, recently we were defining some kind of communication preferences and personas for a medical affairs function of a client. And then they were asking like, well, could we use the same personas as commercial? And so like, well, isn't that kind of the point that we're all after the same goal? And that is what I kind of hear you saying here and what your manager from the time said, like, good medicine is good business. Ultimately, this is not about coming up with some tricks to sell something to someone, right? It is really about helping healthcare professionals understand how the product creates medical value for patients and for their practice. So I fully align with that view. 
Now, I know you have been in a few of these organizations and most recently, of course, in uh, Novartis Gene Therapies, where you were involved in the launch of, I think it was the second gene therapy, right? That was uh, on the market. And I can just imagine that you maybe have some views that you could share with us on how you feel that companies in general can transform their communication strategies to basically help healthcare professionals with their clinical decision making. Yeah, I think the industry in general could probably learn from rare disease because it is that very, very interactive and collaborative environment, specifically for gene therapy. That is a new technology. There is so many unknowns. What I felt was different from the other areas that I've worked in is that there was a very strong pull from the healthcare professionals. They wanted to collaborate with us. They wanted to understand this with us together. There are a lot of safety concerns, of course, with the new technology, little known about the efficacy and so on. And truly, often they know more than we do. Even caregivers know more about the disease than we might in some instances, right? And there is a really strong both need and wish to collaborate and go on this journey together. And finding those opportunities to collaborate and partner industry, physicians and caregivers or patients I think that is something that we should strive for in all areas. <laughs> so how would you say could the medical communications function maybe optimize their approach? What could they practically do? What are the problems or areas that you see where we could make most progress as an industry? I don't know if there is one area where we could make progress. I think there is always room for improvement, right? I think in general, to know our audience, the better we get at listening, the better I think we get at communicating. If we truly understand what are the hurdles, what are the unmet needs for the patients, and what are the challenges that the physicians are facing in order to meet those needs of the patients, you know, the better we understand that, the better we can partner with them. And then we can focus our efforts on what is truly making a difference for the physicians and for the patients in the end. Yeah, that makes sense. So you can't really effectively communicate to an audience that you don't know really well, right? That is basically what you're saying. Do you have some strategies in mind on how the industry could get to know their audience better? You need to interact with them. You need to ask questions. You need to listen to the answers. And I think prepare to be wrong. In most situations, we start from ourselves, right? We start from what we think that we want to communicate what we think that others should hear, right? And that's not necessarily always what they want to hear, or what they need to hear. And if the audience doesn't want to receive our message, of course, there is no communication. There is no information transmitted. So yeah, ask questions, collect insights, understand, and then take it from there. Yeah. So you're saying don't make assumptions, basically, right? Like be curious. Yeah. Like almost assume that you don't know rather than don't assume that you know. Yeah. I was wondering, do you have some kind of concrete example where you felt that the audience needs were maybe not fully incorporated in the communications? Yeah. So, for example, when we create publications from our clinical trial data, we're so excited about this data and we are all deeply ingrained in the details and the results. We often write the publication based on the trial report, which is very scientific, very detailed, very technical. And we believe that this scientific details is necessary for accuracy and for telling the story properly. But if we put ourselves in the shoes of the audience, they might not find that detail as important as we do. And sometimes maybe we can tell the same accuracy with at least simpler language, taking into consideration that the majority of the readers may not be native English speakers. 
right? So the more technical, the more complicated language that we're using, the higher the risk that we're actually losing the audience or they are missing the point that we're trying to make with this publication. Right? So putting ourselves in the shoes of the reader or the target audience, I think, could help us be better at communicating what we want to communicate and get our message across more effectively. Yeah, I really like that thought. So from what I understand, you're saying like out of our own excitement, we might be kind of over communicating or communicating so much detail that the real point is maybe being lost. And then as a more practical thing that it might be hard to understand in general from a language perspective. Yeah, exactly. Thank you. That's a great insight. I recently saw a video about storytelling and data. And the speaker, Miro Kazakov, he is a teacher at MIT on data storytelling. He was talking about the curse of knowledge and how that has a huge impact, especially in expert industries. And I think it's kind of aligned with what you're saying here. And he was basically explaining to me, like, maybe you know this picture of the old woman and the young woman in one, right? Like, it's kind of this uh, little mind trick. In the beginning, you only see one. And once you see the other one, you cannot unsee it. You can never look at that image anymore and unsee it. And that is the curse of knowledge, right? And I was kind of thinking back about that video when you were just talking, because it's exactly that, right? Like we sometimes step into a situation thinking what the audience needs to know, but we don't double check it. We're not curious enough generally to double check whether this is actually true and whether that's the thing they actually need. Yeah. Yeah. Now, let's say if I would give you a magic wand and you would be able to change anything in medical communications overnight. What would you pick? I think if I could change something, anything, I would like to have a lot more collaboration. And that's on many levels, right? I think we could be a lot more collaborative internally. I think there is great opportunity in how we collaborate with clinical development, for example. So the sooner that we collaborate on how we define endpoint, for example, not defining the endpoint per se, but how we verbalize the endpoint in a simple way that is also easier to communicate externally once we communicate the final data, that is going to help us down the line, right? And I think also collaboration between industries so medical affairs, the physicians, ideally collaboration with patients or with caregivers would be really meaningful as well and help us in defining those outcomes and the channels that would have the best impact on those patient outcomes. So collaboration is what I would use my magic wand for. Improved collaboration. Improved collaboration, indeed. So could we dive just a little bit deeper into what would you expect to change if that were to happen? So let's say the cross-functional collaboration is improved, the distance or the gap between the industry and the healthcare professionals and patients is closed. What would that mean? I think that would mean more agility, more direct impact on the patients, less detours and less sort of noise that we need to cut through, <laughs> easier to prioritize having more impact by doing less, if I would summarize it. Yeah, well, that's actually a very powerful statement, I would say. And I think the epitome of improving what we do, right? Less is more. Now, let's say that because of that collaboration and especially the closeness of the industry with healthcare professionals would provide additional insights. Coming back to your point on curiosity and better understanding our audience, how would you say could we best use that? What are things, maybe some concrete things that you see in Metcoms? that you feel could simply be better because of that? 
Yeah, sure. So I think, as I mentioned before, prioritization, like knowing what channels are preferred, what communication these audiences prefer, and influencing our strategy so that we have better, not return on investment, because that's not a term that we should use in medical affairs, right? But a terminology that I heard some colleagues in the industry use is return on objective. Right, so better understand what is the impact of the different activities that we do and really target those who move the needle, who has a big impact on the patient. Yeah, that makes sense. And I actually like that you brought this return on investment up. I've had quite a few conversations about that too. And I don't necessarily see either the return or the investment as an economic one. And I know you have been on the agency side too, right? But very often the requests that we're receiving are very action-oriented. And it doesn't necessarily make them bad, right? But it is often like, hey, can you make a slide deck? You know, the famous example. And we really make it a point to figure out why we're actually doing this. And the more you start practicing that behavior or this habit that you don't do things without knowing the big why and the objectives, the better you're going to get in coming up with tactics that make most sense. And also, I think it's a great way to open your mind to consider different avenues, like a different channel. Maybe that slide deck wasn't the right way to go. Maybe there are more effective channels, but it is something that is so ingrained in our industry that it is almost automatic that we just start developing content and not always think enough about how is this content going to make a difference? Who is consuming it? What are their needs? And how would success then actually look like? And it doesn't have to be an economic value. We need to educate a group of people, right? Well, that's still something that you can measure in one or the other way. Yeah, as you said before, less is more. Sometimes we might not need to invest that much time or effort or slides right, into conveying a message or educating. And it's not always the most fancy tactics that are the most impactful ones. And what works in one area might not at all work for another group of physicians. Yeah, completely. And this kind of brings me to one of the topics I'm very passionate about, which is metrics and KPIs. And I was wondering if you could share your feel on that. Like, what do you feel are metrics or KPIs that effectively give an idea of how a communication strategy is working out? That is a million dollar question, isn't it? I think in medical affairs, we're good at measuring numbers, right? The outputs. So number of abstracts, the number of participants or delegates at a Congress, right? But it doesn't really tell us anything about the impact that we had of our, our interaction. So again, I think it comes down to what you said about knowing your why. What are you trying to do? What is the impact? What is the outcome that you're expecting from this? And then try to measure that, which is easier said than done in many ways, right? Ideally, we would like to communicate directly with the patients and hear from them what was the impact, right? How did that improve their lives? But in many instances, we can't do that. And then we need to find sort of pseudo measures along the way to measure that. And I don't think we have a really good standardized way of doing that in medical affairs yet. Yeah, we are kind of thinking about this concept where you use proxies, right? And if you think about it, a lot of the metrics in medical communications, even if you look at a journal impact factor, which is a metric in a way, right? Or an altmetric score, it doesn't have to be related specifically to publications, of course. But in general, they're often proxies. And what do you think about the concept where we look at reach and engagement? And basically, you use those two as a combination, as a proxy for impact, right? Because I'm always thinking, like, if we don't reach someone, well, they don't have the information. So you know for sure they couldn't act on it either, right? If you reach someone, but they don't engage with your content, then the outcome would be the same, right? It would be uh, the equivalent to you receiving a letter from me and 
taking it out of the mailbox and throwing it in the trash. <laughs> right. right. So what is your view on that? And have you seen any of this working in real life for Metcoms? Can you share any experience trying to use metrics or analyzing metrics maybe in some different channels? It's a good question. It's a difficult one as well, because read, again, it's not always about quantity. As you said, it's also the interaction, it's the quality. And of course, it depends on you know, how large your target audience is, right? Are you targeting 20,000 positions? And then you can have a lot of physicians with a small interaction, and that might be the same impact as having a smaller number with a really in-depth engagement, right? So I like the combination of the two, and I think if you can have a high percentage of your target audience having a high interaction, that's what you want, right? I like it as a concept. I have not yet seen it in action properly, but I think that's definitely something that we should strive for. And maybe something you can give me insights on. <laughs> Sorry, I know I'm giving you a hard time here today. <laughs> no, I think what I'm always trying to do is to find some examples as a stewardship for the industry. Like how do different people work in medcoms, right? So I'm always asking if anyone has any experience with metrics. And there's a lot of theories and ideas also on our end. But the practical application, there's a lot still to be desired. I'm sure that is for everyone. This is definitely not a unique situation. Yeah, I think we measure the impact of individual activities or meetings. I think the advantage of gene therapy or rare disease is that we often meet with smaller groups of physicians. And of course, in those situations, it's much easier to get a direct answer on how they experience that engagement, right? However, getting the insights from one individual in interaction is not necessarily representative, and right? We would like to combine all of those and be able to compare them different channels or different types of interactions and see what is the most impactful. And this is something that's often missing. Yeah, yeah, I would agree with that. And maybe thinking about that, what is your view on the adoption of digital content? And the reason I'm asking is like earlier today, I saw the white paper from McKinsey. So McKinsey published The Future of Medical Affairs 2030. And one of the data points that I mentioned is that 25% of HEPs is now more interested in digital communications and wants less face-to-face -face interaction. But I was actually surprised. I think that number is lower than I would expect. 25% is still a relatively small audience. How do you feel this is going to develop over the next few years? Firstly, I think it depends on the therapeutic area. Right? So again, that audience that you're talking to, are they seeing different types of patients right, with different diseases? And how much focus do they have on one specific disease? Right? And if they're covering a very broad range of patients, having interactions for each one of those diseases and with multiple companies, etc., I can absolutely see how you know a general practitioner or maybe a, a pulmonologist would not want to have a lot of interactions. If they are very specialized in a complex disease area, a digital interaction will never replace a two-way communication with an expert, right? So I think it depends on the area. I think maybe in specialty care, oncology, those areas, the digital channels are more important than, for example, in a gene therapy space. And then the other aspect of that is I think humans were hardwired for connection, and a digital channel is a good channel, but I don't think it will ever replace a direct communication, an interaction between two humans. 
Okay, so since you're working in such a rare disease specialty area where there are only a few physicians basically that you really need to educate, how are you going about that? Like, it sounds really like you need to reach that needle in a haystack. What are the tricks that you use to do so? So here's the collaboration with the local teams are key, right? The magic doesn't happen in the head offices. It happens out in the countries where our field-based colleagues are having interactions and and really them knowing the environment in their country. In a gene therapy, there are centers of excellence in every country, right? And knowing exactly which ones these are, working with them from the start when they treat the first patient, doing that side by side with them. And that's how you build that relationship as well and get to know your key audience, right? And through conversations with them, we also understand what is the patient flow? Where are they coming from? Referring centers. What are the questions that those referring centers have? Or what are their concerns? You know, How can we help them refer the patients more effectively sooner, get that diagnosis sooner so that they can get treatment sooner? So here, the collaboration with the local teams is absolutely key. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine. And it's actually a super interesting topic on its own, right? The collaboration between global, the regional and uh, local organizations. And I have personally been in the industry in a regional role. And I always felt that there was kind of some tension, right? Like where on the one hand, you have this kind of top-down approach, like global set their strategy and, and need to share this with the world. But at the same time, people in the countries, because I've also worked on affiliate level, they tend to be so close to the actual customers and the healthcare professionals that they know really, really well what is needed. What is your view on this? Like, how do you feel companies can make sure that you have kind of this upstream and downstream balance between the two? Yeah, I absolutely agree. It's very difficult to sit in one place and understand what are the needs everywhere else, right? And there is really no other way to do it than to understand what are the needs. And when it comes to medical communication, yes, we do a lot of directly external communication. But really, when it comes down to it, our key customer probably are our colleagues in the countries. One of our most important jobs is to make sure that they are the best that they can possibly be at their jobs in the countries. So understanding what their needs are is absolutely critical for us to develop the right resources. Yeah, and from experience, I know that these needs can be quite diverse. And then you're dealing also with larger and smaller regions. How could you make sense out of that, especially on the European side of things, right? Where, you know, there are many different countries with different needs, quite different health systems. Anything about that that you can share with us around how you can synthesize that input and make sensible decisions based on it? Yeah, I mean, you're never going to do the right thing for everyone at every given time point, right? So understanding what are the commonalities, what are the common challenges? So again, what is your return on your objectives, so to say, right? Where can you have the most impact for your countries, commonalities? And maybe what you mentioned before about personas, right? Can you find different archetypes of countries that have the same needs? You know, whether these are all within Europe or across regions, can you find commonalities? And often those are maybe based on where they are in the life cycle and what type of healthcare system you have. So you have a few sort of archetypes that have commonalities and and you can target different types of tactics towards those different archetypes. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense actually. So basically you're looking at categorizing the different regions or local organizations in their needs and see if there are any commonalities that you can cover. For example, or connecting them with each other, right? If you see that something has worked in one country or one region, 
that has similarities to another country or region? You know, can you connect them with each other and have them share best practice? Can they use the materials that was used locally in a different place? I think a big value of global is also to connect the different parts of the world. It's not necessarily just from global and out or from the countries and into global. It's also like interregion and intercountry, having that bigger picture and see what is happening globally. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Let's pivot to a different topic here. I'm curious to your vision of the future in medical communication. So if we would fast forward to, let's say, 2030, what do you predict is going to happen in the medical communications industry? What would be the big changes if it would be 2030 today? What would be the things that are really different I think what we have seen over the last few years, and I assume that will continue to happen as more of the sort of personalization targeting the needs of the different audiences. And I think data generation is becoming more and more important in medical affairs in general and generating evidence that meets the needs of the stakeholders and also then in how we communicate that data more effectively. Personalization also in terms of communication. I think we see more of listening to what the physicians want. More on-demand communication is something that I can see would come even more, especially in, in specialty care where you have larger groups of HCPs or a larger number of HCPs. Yeah, there's less of that one-size-fits-all type of thinking. Yeah, so less broadcasting, more audience understanding and providing personalized information. Yeah, I think that is definitely important and we have seen that in many other industries already happening as well. In such a complex environment, this is even more important. Also from a report that I saw, about 65% of HEPs seem to be overwhelmed with information. So it is not that I don't want to see it. The report actually said 95% is extremely interested in learning more about new data, new trial outcomes, but 65% is overwhelmed. And I would agree with you. The way to deal with that is to break it down to things that they need and leave the rest away. Yeah, simplify. I think we are all kind of overwhelmed with information these days, right? So having maybe shorter, more simple pieces of information, taking into consideration that they are overwhelmed with information, short on time. You know, in general, physicians have less and less time to sit down and maybe read for themselves to the uh, interactions that they have with patients also become shorter and shorter because there is always a need for savings and etc. And that time becomes extremely precious. Yeah, more and more pressure on efficiency in the health systems, right? Well, and we've covered so much ground today. Really excited to hear about your personal journey and as well your vision on how medical communications is going to look like in the future. Could you maybe share with us what keeps you motivated and inspired in this field? So I'm inspired by people, first and foremost, but also about learning, developing, doing things a little bit better tomorrow than I did it today. And especially seeing that progress in others is something that truly motivates me. So whether that's an internal team getting more effective or working better together or physicians feeling more confident in how to use the gene therapy, you know, that progress, that learning is what motivates me to get better at what I'm doing. Yeah, that sounds beautiful. Now, do you have some kind of uh, mantra or principle or maybe something you experienced that you would like to share with our audience that drives you forward? I'm a big believer in follow your intuition. Do what you enjoy doing. Like If something feels great and excites you, that usually also means that you are good at doing that, right? So jump on opportunities that excite you and yeah, follow your intuition. That has always been my mantra. So Thank you. 
Well, thanks so much, Lynn, for being a guest here at the Transforming Medical Communications podcast. It was an absolute pleasure to have you here and thank you for sharing your views, vision and insight. Thank you so much. Thank you. I really enjoyed the conversation. Transforming Medical Communications is brought to you by MedComs Experts. To find out more about MedComs Experts and how we create some of the most cutting-edge medical communications programs anywhere in the world, visit www.medcoms-experts.com. And then make sure to search for Transforming Medical Communications in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, or anywhere else podcasts are found. Make sure to click subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at MedComs Experts, thanks for listening.